Hello. Hi, Dan. How are you? I'm well. How are you? Pretty good. Pretty good. Good news. What's up? Ha <laughs> ha. What? Oh, you called me. Yeah, I called you. Yeah, yeah. What do you mean, what's up? Well, you oh. said you said good news. And I didn't know if it was good news that things were good or that you had good news. And you were ready to oh, tell no, me. no, no. I don't have any. I don't have any like good news. I'm just saying it's good news. Yeah. yeah everybody's. It's all good news. Good. I mean, it's not all good news, no. but but uh, but for us, it's good. For news. us, people tune in for the good stuff. For the good news, yeah. we're here to share with you the good news. Mm-hmm. Mm, yeah. That's usually a Jesus reference, Dan. Is it? Yeah, you might not you might not know that. I don't. Uh, I don't know anything about that. First hand experience, but but yeah, when you say you want to share with somebody the good news, that's that means that you want to share with them the good news. The that gospel. Jesus died. Yeah, that's right. That's okay, it. that's it. So we're not doing that, right? Mm-hmm. We're not going to share that kind of good news. I mean, you can share whatever you want. I'll listen. Mm-hmm. Uh huh. I don't have that. I don't have that news to share. Okay. Well, I saw a picture of your house on Instagram. Oh, right. The, the inside of my the house. The interior. The interior. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. And uh, it was a picture of, hold on, let me call this up here. Load it up mm-hmm. on the machine. Yeah, and I can see your your whole, the whole setup is here. Well, not the whole setup, but it's a, it's a little bit of a, it's a little bit of security cam angle. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, what the house is really in transition at the moment because of, um, of the fact that I am, I'm, I'm rebuilding the basement here with the idea that the basement, the basement is not really a habitable basement, but it is, it could have for a long time been more useful than it, than it was like I had, I used it really sometimes to do carpentry it was that much of a space that i didn't that i didn't care about keeping clean but now i've fixed it up painted the floor sealed the walls i'm going to build shelves down there and then all of my archives are going to get stacked down there and what that means of course is that having not completed that task yet i started another task which was bringing all my shit out and like strewing it all around right because it looks like on the, is that your dining room table or is that just a? That's the dining room table. That it, was, so la, er, earlier this year, at the beginning of the year, my, uh, at the time, millennium girlfriend decided that she was going to move in with me or, or rather we agreed that she was going to move up from Venice Beach to Seattle. And one of the things, one of the items that she had in Venice that she was very proud of was her dining room table. And I, I liked it too. It was a rustic sort of picnic table that had been through the wars. And, uh, my dining room table was a table and chair set that I found in the barn when I moved in. That was, um, in the sort of, I hate to say the words, but in the craftsman style, uh, and by that, I mean not actually like a stickly or something from the era, but uh-huh. something that you would have bought in the 90s, early 90s, late 80s, advertised as craftsman. 
but it was fine. It was a big, solid table. It was obviously like free in the barn with a whole set of chairs. And I was like, sure. And I moved it into the house and it was there forever. But she said, you got to get rid of your dining room table so that there's room for my dining room table. And I said, absolutely. As part of my project over the last year and a half to agree with people when they tell me uh, what I need to do. And the, and the reason for that project, Dan, was that over the years, a lot of people have attributed all my problems to the fact that I didn't just go along with their plan for me. Hmm. And this has been a source of contention between me and other people for a long time, specifically lady friends who had a plan for me. A lot of times that plan was in development, but I often refuse to go along with it. Not like standing there with the hands on hips saying no, right. but just like, just not doing it. And, uh, and I, I really got beaten down over time by not just those particular lady friends, but just the general vibe from people saying, boy, you blew it that time. Oh, you blew it again. <laughs> wow. Third time you blew it. Even in recent memory, why don't you do what people ask? And my response has always been, it doesn't seem like they're asking me to do things that seem natural to me. Right. It seems like they're asking me to do things that sort of serve them and their interests. Right. But okay, you know what I mean? Yes, right. Maybe that's the secret. Maybe there is something to this. Maybe I should just submit. So in the case of uh, this dining room table, it was one of many, many, many things uh, last year and the year before that I said, yeah, I got, I'm that, I got no dog in this race. I don't care about this dining room table. Let's get it out of here. Let's get, the, let's get the rustic one in here. Right. Why not? That wasn't a big deal. Obviously, the big deal was, yes, move into my house. I've never lived with anyone before. I've never lived with a lady friend before. Why not have it be now? Why not now? I agree. I, I, it's not even about submitting. It's about embracing. It was about embracing. So I got rid of my dining room table pretty unceremoniously. Like I didn't want to deal with selling it. I didn't want to deal with people. Mm -hmm. So I just said dining room table free and some guy showed up and was like, I'll take it. And it's a, it was an enormous table and chairs and he was in some kind of Honda Civic <laughs> and bless his heart, as we say in the South, uh -huh. he figured out a way to strap that table to the roof of his Civic along with half of the chairs and stuck the rest of the chairs inside. And off he drove like the Beverly Hillbillies. I... I was happy to give it to him for free just because he was such a, um, such a star. But then I didn't have a dining room table and, uh, my millennium girlfriend moved in and her stuff was in shipment and she lived here about a month. The two of us without a dining room table eating, uh, cross leg on the floor. And then nothing, nothing wrong with that. That doesn't. No, it was fun. It was yeah. fun. It was just like it was just like Rob Petrie and Laura Petrie, just two lovebirds in their new house, mm -hmm. which was my old house, almost newlyweds, really. Mm -hmm. 
And then through a series of unfortunate events, um, she did not stay here as a, as a permanent resident, never even unloaded the shipping container. Oh, wow. Turned around, packed her stuff in my luggage and decamped in the, in the night. And then I'm assuming called the shipping company and said, send that shipping oh container God. back Jeez. to Santa Monica. Uh, all, and so then I was without a dining room table and also without a girlfriend alone in my house sitting. And no, the, no luggage. Uh, well, I mean, I still had plenty of luggage because I have too much luggage. But she did, you know, she did uh, abscond. With uh, with some with a bag with one particular one, along with you know some various other things. Well, we, uh, confusingly, confusingly, yeah, yeah. but you know, but the yeah, each each person has their own path through life, um, and I'm sure that she uh, uh, that part of the problem was that I did not submit fully enough, because I learned in this experience that this process of uh, doing what other people tell you and submitting to their will for you uh, is not, there is no bottom to it. You do not ever succeed at it. Um, the, the actual game is just keep doing it. Mm-hmm. You're still not doing it well enough. You're still not doing it well enough. You cannot, you cannot uh, have your own will if you're going to really pursue this course of life, which I, I obviously can't do. But then I had no dining room table for a long time. And that was no problem for me. But then my daughter said, there is no place that I have been in my short life that doesn't have a dining room table except here. (laughs) And I understood what she meant. Everywhere she's been has a dining room table. Restaurants have tables. Tables are a big, that's a big part of, of how we decorate and, and, and pursue our adventures as humans, right? We, that's one of the first things we do. Build a table. Mm-hmm. That's civilization right there. Forget the wheel. It's about a table. Yeah, it starts with a table long <laughs> time before a wheel. <laughs> that's right. So, you know, she's coloring on the floor. She's eating her dinner on the floor. She's playing on the floor all the time on the floor. Daddy's on the floor. And eventually she was like, this is just one more example of how you are intolerable and I realized I was not, I was not submitting to her either very effectively. So fortunately for me, Dan, when I moved into this house, there were two dining room tables in the barn, and the other one I just left up there as the barn table. So I moved the barn table down into the house. I had to clean it up, right? It was dirty old barn table, but now it is a nice, clean dining room table. Fancy style, not craftsman, but some other style, indeterminate American 1969 dining room table. And I found some chairs for it and off we go. But now when, when you have a dining room table, what happens, Dan? What goes on the dining room table? Uh, plates, forks, knives, food. No, wrong. In my case, everything goes on the dining uh, room table. I do everything. see a lot of stuff on there. I mean, there is a everything. whole lot of stuff. Everything, boxes, uh, jars like, full of something, 
jars. You got to have all kinds of jam jars that are full of little bits and parts. Um, Is that a ladybug on top of one of them? There's a ladybug. There's newspapers. There's uh, boxes of photographs. There's like um, swords and electronic things that are being fixed and lyrics, notepads and notepads of lyrics. So I'm one of those, just like my dad was, when you want to sit down at the dining room table, you kind of have to clear a space for your placemat <laughs> and your forks and stuff. Right. And I'm not proud of it. And I, and I clean up all the time. I'll, I'll get that dining room table just spick and span. It's a gradual process. So what I'm planning to do in the basement is build a bunch of shelves, take most of that stuff down there, and then have a big table down there, another table, Dan. A table that I have yet to well, I haven't decided because there are a couple of other tables in the house that could that could fulfill this purpose. But that's gonna be the table where the projects get sort of spread out. It's gonna be the spread out table. Get down there, put those photographs out there, those ladybugs, those jam jars. I can go down there and sort things. I mean, like I say, it's not it's not super great down there, but I'll put a little space heater in there and I'll maybe I'll have a green visor <laughs> for for your it, poker games. It's a begin it's the beginning <laughs> of a new it's a it's a new chapter. I'm I'm like um I'm I'm squaring it away up here. Yeah. But I I do have I do have a lot of things that belong in a basement that right now are spread all over the place. Will this be storage? Will it be organized? Will it be like, will you get containers and put everything in it or will it just be sort of stacked uh, up like logs or what? No shelves. And then I'm going to go. I I went to one of those storage uh, container places. Container, the container store. The container store. Yeah. Expensive. Container store. That's an expensive store. So expensive for plastic boxes. Yeah, they have everything though, but it's it's a small fortune to do anything in there. So Dan, you tell me, where do you go to get good quality boxes that don't cost like forty two dollars? Where do you get your good boxes? Is it is it at bed bed uh, breakfast and beyond, or is it at IKEA? Uh, I mean, IKEA is going to have some of that stuff. Um, yeah. Target has oh, a bunch Target? of it. Um, I don't know how much you're going to get at Bed Bath & Beyond, to be honest with you, but the container store is definitely, it doesn't look like it, but I would almost put it in the category of like a, a high-end boutique store, but just because mm-hmm. everything in there is so expensive. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's wonderful stuff, but what about uh, Office Max? Yeah, they might have something. If you're just looking for shelves, you might be surprised what uh, Target, Office Max, even Home Depot Oh, no, no, no. I got shelves. You got shelves. Got, this is just the container parts. Yeah, this is to put things in to put on. Put them in, then put them on. I would start, my first place would be Target. Okay. All right. All right. Good. Because good, the good, prices good. will be all right. They might not be the best selection in the world, but it'll get you, know, it'll get you through. Mm. Well, we need to pause for a second uh, to thank our sponsor at Squarespace. You can do so much with Squarespace. You can turn your cool idea into a new website. You can showcase your work. Of course, you can blog and publish all kinds of content. You can even sell products and services of all kinds because they've got built-in e-commerce. You can promote your physical business or an online business. Like I said, you can sell, you can sell, make videos and sell them, teach people stuff, whatever you want to do. And they, they make all this possible with these beautiful templates that they've created. The e-commerce functionality lets you sell anything online. 
You can customize the look and feel, the settings, the products, and more with just a few clicks. And everything is optimized for mobile right out of the box. You can even buy your domain on Squarespace. You don't have to have a website with them to do it. You just go there and get the domain. 24-7 award-winning customer support. Nothing to patch or upgrade ever. It's secure. And they've even got built-in SEO to help get your idea, your product, whatever it is out there in front of an audience. So here's what you do. You go to squarespace.com and use the code ROADWORK, one word, and you will save 10% off your first purchase of a website or a domain. That's code ROADWORK at squarespace.com. So here's the plan, right? I'm going to put things down there. Like, for instance, I have a lot of guitars. How many do you think you have? I have too many guitars. I used to work at a guitar store. And I didn't have, I used to work at a guitar shop in Seattle that was called Emerald City Guitars. And this is, uh, Emerald City opened up during the heyday of guitar, guitar times, uh, opened up in the mid nineties, owned by a good friend of mine named Jay Boone. And Jay had a bunch of people that would, you know, like local yokels that would come work at his guitar store. Uh, Jay was a member of the no longer does drugs community Mm -hmm. as I too am a member. And so Jay, uh, again, in the Southern style, let me say, bless his heart. Jay liked to hire people to work in his store who were also members of the recently no longer do drugs club. And that isn't maybe the most dependable workforce in terms of, sticking around and waking up in the morning and that type of thing. Because a lot of recently don't do drugs people are also end up being the recently started doing drugs again people. Oh, it happens. It happens. So I was a good friend of Jay's and I was his guy that he would call when someone who had recently stopped using drugs start recently started even more recently started using drugs again jay would call me at the last minute because he knew i didn't have a real job and he would say will you come down and work at the guitar store for a week while i find another person to to be the permanent employee so i worked there a lot and i didn't have very much money then uh i don't have a whole lot more now but i i didn't have really any then But I loved guitars and I needed guitars because I was in rock bands then. I was playing rock shows all the time. Mm -hmm. And what I, what, what the skill I developed there was the skill to pick up a guitar that was a cheap, what we would call then a cheap guitar. Um, generally like a sixties Japanese made copy of an American guitar or, uh, like a sub brand. We used to think of sort of, 60s epiphones as being lesser than gibsons and 70s fender guitars were pretty widely regarded as poorly made low Mm -hmm. status guitars Mm -hmm. so like a 76 stratocaster nobody thought was a good guitar an 82 stratocaster there was you could kind of give them away they weren't worth anything So I sat at the guitar stand. Well, with all things like that, if 50 of them pass through your hands, you discover that one of them is actually a great instrument. 
you know, the people that are making those guitars aren't thinking to themselves, let's make garbage instruments. They're, they're trying to make good playable things. It's just that they don't, you know, they're, they're not, um, artisanal craftspeople They're but, but, but what has turned out over time is you realize, oh, the people that were making guitars in Japan in the sixties compared to people who are making guitars in Mexico. Now they truly were craftspeople. Those are actually great guitars. Uh, those seventies fenders that we used to think were $200 guitars. They're super expensive guitars now because people can't, because newer ones aren't as even as good as those. But also there's a certain amount of like, it's a 76 man. <laughs> it's like, well that they, those were shitty and the company was shitty then. No, no, no. It's a 70. It's a three bolt neck, big headstock, 76. It's like, mm-hmm. but, uh, so what I did was I collected guitars that when I put them in my hand, when you looked at them at first, you were like, oh yeah, it's a maestro or it's a Lyle or it's a Univox or some guitar that isn't, um, that, that at least in 1998 would have been considered a hundred and fifty to $300 guitar. But I would pick the ones that were good and, and, and you, and they, they exist. You pick one up and you're like, what the, this guitar is great, but it still isn't worth anything. And so I got those and I, and since I was working at the guitar store, I would kind of, Jay would pay me 50 bucks a day. But, but if I said like, I want this maestro, you know, he'd give it to me for, for nothing. So I have a pretty interesting collection of harmonies and Hofners and Lyles and just sort of, um, guitars that at least then weren't weren't anything, but they're all great. They're great players. They're great recording guitars. I can't get rid of them. Right. That would, that would just be crazy to get rid of them, even though it would be totally sane to get rid of them. Uh, so it isn't the guitars even that are the problem. It is that every guitar has a guitar case. And if you have the guitars out where you can use them, you have somewhere else a bigger box, a box big enough to carry the guitar and it has to sit somewhere too. It has to like rest somewhere. And so I have a, I have a closet, a big, big closet that I would love to use for other things, but it's all just full of guitar cases, like 30 guitar cases stacked in there. So those are definitely going down into the basement and all of the like, old newspapers like when you write when you write articles which i've done variously and when articles are written about you which has also happened my instinct i know this isn't yours i know this isn't your instinct because everything that everything that you own would fit inside of the back of one of my guitar amplifiers (laughs) but my instinct is to keep a copy of the newspaper where I have an article or keep a copy of the magazine where there's an article about me. Yeah. Well, that stuff is, that stuff takes up a lot of room. You're just, you have that much written and written about you. Can't yeah, you do like microfiche for it or something? Well, sure you can, but the, but the newspaper itself, the yellow edged 
uh, old like alternative weekly from 1998 or I mean I have a copy of every high school newspaper that was published when I was in high school or when I wrote for the paper because I was the entertainment editor and then briefly the editor-in-chief of the East High School Zephyr. So I have a big bin just full of East High School Zephyrs. I was briefly the editor-in-chief because my senior year, when I rightfully should have been editor-in-chief, had been groomed and groomed and self-groomed for it my whole high school career, the former newspaper teacher, Doug Blankensop, decided that he was done teaching newspaper because something. I don't know why. It was a bad decision on Doug Blankensop's part, I think. Doug Blankensop wanted a life change. He didn't stop teaching. He just stopped teaching newspaper. And he was a great newspaper teacher. He had it in his blood. And the school hired a new teacher, a young gal, who came in. And I went down to the school in the summer when the teachers were first congregating there. I went, I took a, you know, I took a, a journey down there in the summer. I went in, I said, hello, new teacher. Uh-huh. I just wanted to introduce myself. My name's John. I was the entertainer, entertainment editor of the Zephyr last year. And, um, by, by acclamation, by, by, uh, mutual agreement of everyone that worked on the paper. I, um, I am the editor this year and I don't, I can't picture myself at 17 to know exactly how diplomatically I presented this idea. I'm, I, I don't think I was a monster. I didn't roll in there and say, step aside. I was, I was polite and, And she said, and at the time she seemed like a young teacher. Now looking back, she might've been 25. I mean, she, she seemed like an adult to us, to me, but, but who knows how, how old this person was. I, I don't, I don't remember anything about her. I couldn't tell you her name. I can't remember her face. All I knew was that she was young and that she said, as I'm standing there with her in her new classroom, a classroom, by the way, that I'd spent three years in that she was, she'd only been in for three hours. She said, Oh, well, thanks for stopping by, but I'm going to be the editor in chief of the Zephyr this year. Mm. And I said, you're the teacher. And she said, yeah, well, just to get a handle on, you know, what the paper is and so forth. I'm, you know, I'm going to edit it. You would think that, the, that, if I may interject, you would think that the teacher in an effort to teach would want to have a student doing that kind of job. You would think that, Dan. Yes. And I said as much. Like, I've spent my whole uh, three years in high school aspiring to and trying to be the editor of the paper. Like it was the thing before I even joined high school. I thought one of the things I would like to do is edit the school newspaper. I don't want to edit the yearbook because that's a different job. The type of person that wants to edit the yearbook is an entirely different type of person. Completely, completely. I don't want to work on the yearbook. Those are different, different people. You must understand they are an 
uh, an other class. And I'm, I, and I am not besmirching them without them. There wouldn't be a yearbook, but I, that's not where I want to work. Like the, the things that I wanted to do were MC all of the pep assemblies. Mm-hmm. And that was a job that, that was a job that I got by going down to the office, the school office every day for three years or for two years because they, I started doing the pep assemblies my junior year. I just went down there every day and was like, when am I going to start doing the pep assemblies? And they were like, well, usually a senior does that and that's what's happening now. There's a senior doing it. And I was like, I know, but, but, um, I'm better than they are at this. Right. And eventually like my junior year, I mean, there were seniors who wanted to do it, but they didn't go down to the office every day and say, when, when am I going to do the pep assemblies? And I was good at doing the pep assemblies. That was one of the things I wanted to do, but editing the paper, that was number one thing. So she says, I'm going to edit the paper. And I said, that seems crazy to me. It's a job for a student. And she said, well, I want to choose the editor myself and not just have a student come in and tell me that they're the editor. And I said, well, I suppose, except that the newspaper here has a culture that existed before I joined that was like, uh, it has an institutional memory. And by all the standards of the institutional memory of this newspaper, like I have fulfilled all of the requirements. There isn't another student who's been on the paper longer than me or more dedicated than I am to it. I used to write four articles an issue for it. Like I, I guess what I'm asking is, do you have a reason that it isn't me? Other than that you, it doesn't even seem, it didn't seem to me at the moment that this was an idea that she had formulated in advance. Oh, this is just like right off the top of her head. No, I'm going to do it. She was just reacting. And again, I don't don't think that, that, I don't think that I came in. I mean, I, I always had a head of steam when I was that age. I was just like, hi, I'm interested in this. Um, is there a reason I can't do it? But it wasn't that I walked in and said, look, lady, (laughs) you know, I wasn't that kind of, I wasn't that kind of kid. I was just like, I was persistent, but you would think that a student who came down in the middle of the summer and said, I'm willing to, I'm willing to really dive into this job, uh, that that would be a thing that a teacher would encourage. Anyway, so she and I, I left that day bewildered yeah and crushed i don't blame you i mean that was i find that to be really wrong really wrong and i don't think she ended up having a successful career as a teacher let me tell you about our second sponsor it's brooklinen these guys are great and i really really like what these guys make you know they they can pay us to uh, do their read, but they can't pay us to say that we like something unless we really like it. And I really do. This is the deal. This company was founded by like a husband and wife team. And they went, I guess they were out on a trip and they found that the linens that were on 
the beds in this really nice hotel that they were staying in, or maybe it was a bed and breakfast. It was just, they were just these really great linens and they wanted them back in their house and they couldn't find anything like it. And when they finally did find some that was like it, they, it was super, super expensive. And they said, you know what? It shouldn't be like that. We want really great, beautiful linens in our house, but we don't want to have to pay for some crazy luxury price. So this is what they do. They cut unnecessary markups and manufacturing waste and they give you these great designs and exceptional savings and you get really, really nice sheets. And they're one of the fastest growing bedding brands in the world. They have over 12,000 five-star reviews, tons of colors, tons of patterns. You can mix and match, which I really like. And this is luxury bedding underpriced. You've got to try these. I have them on my bed right now. And you wouldn't think that sheets would make a difference in the way that you sleep, but they do the way you feel when you get into bed like that. This stuff matters. And you can get these really great sheets at a really great price. And here's the deal. You're going to get $20 off and free shipping when you use the promo code ROADWORK, one word, at brooklinen.com. Let me just spell that for you. It's brook, B-R-O-O-K, linen, L-I-N-E-N, brooklinen.com. Use the promo code ROADWORK. You're going to get 20 bucks off and the free shipping. And they are so confident that you're going to love the new sheets. They offer you a risk-free 60-night satisfaction guarantee. You can sleep on these sheets two months. And at any point in that time, if you're like, yeah, not for me, which I doubt, but if it happens, they just send it back. So get 20 bucks off and free shipping using code ROADWORK at brooklinen.com. Best sheets ever. I had two bad teachers in the entire time that I was a student. One was my fourth grade teacher and one was this newspaper teacher. The rest of the teachers were either, and I'm talking about my whole career, were either great Or they were fine. And in high school, there were some teachers that were kind of phoning it in, but maybe they weren't bad, right? No, they weren't bad at all. They were high school teachers. Like they weren't, it's not even that they were phoning it in like they were burned out. It was that at the time, I didn't know how hard it was to teach 30, 15 year olds about U.S. government. And now I do. And I'm like, oh, no wonder they were, they seemed a little fried. But two bad teachers, one of them was my fourth grade teacher, and she trained as a librarian and had formerly been the librarian, and either because she aspired to teach fourth grade or there was a shortage or something, all of a sudden she's a fourth grade teacher, and she did not know how to do it. And I was, I think in fourth grade, the kind of kid that was used to being left alone Mm -hmm. by teachers because I was a good reader and a good worker but I worked independently and my teachers all prior to this understood that and so they said okay class everybody get together and we're going to start working on this and I would have sort of indicated to the teacher like I know this lesson already and and the teacher would say okay you you know John why don't you just sit over here and here's a book and you can work on this and that worked great but the fourth grade teacher insisted that everybody do the assignment all together at once. And I was just like, come on, like, yes, seven times six is 42. Come on. I know, I know this already. And I did not like her. And I, that was the beginning of me not trusting teachers. Right. Um, well, the end of third grade when I didn't get, 
paid out for all of the money that I'd earned doing homework. That was when I learned to not trust adults. But fourth grade really cemented it for me. Anyway, so when school started, senior year, I couldn't not be on the newspaper. So I show up and here's a bunch of kids. Some of them had been on the newspaper before. Some of them were people that were like, I'm interested in newspaper, freshmen and other people. And my high school girlfriend, who had sort of worked on newspaper the year before, who was now a senior, and was doing that high school transcript padding that high-achieving kids like to do so that when they went to college or when they applied to colleges, they just had this huge list of activities that they did. She had also joined newspaper and she was my girlfriend, mm-hmm. you know, like, so this was exciting. Like my lady is here. She was valedictorian oh. of our, of our graduating class. And she was president of the, the junior class, president of the student Congress. She was a very high achieving person. So she's on newspaper and she didn't care about newspapers. She didn't want to write articles about the, JV football team and and she had no interest in that. She kind of wanted to just seemed like newspaper was an easy A and it seemed like the kind of activity that you would do if you were a if you were going to go to Johns Hopkins. Right. So we start the school year I'm the only one that knows how to lay out a newspaper. I'm the only one that knows how to get all those articles in on time and put together. And like I was devoted to this craft and the teacher doesn't know how to do it. She doesn't know how to lay out a newspaper. She doesn't know that we send the newspaper, you know, that we send it to here and these people printed and we get it on this day. Like she doesn't know any of that. And so I effectively, I'm the editor, but without benefit of the title, without the honorific, which as I'm telling you this, Dan, I am upset again. I can tell. I can hear it in your voice because it's an outrage. It is an outrage. And at that point in time, like she was putting her name on the masthead. Oh my gosh. She was just, she was into like, this was like a power trip. It sounds like for her. Yeah, she was a young teacher. She didn't know what she was doing. She didn't know how to uh, do it, I guess. Or she just, you know, like she had a go-getter boy in this class and she wanted to kick his knee out Mm. somehow Mm -hmm. because after the first quarter, she said, I think that there needs to be an editor for the paper that is a student and I'm appointing Kelly, my girlfriend, as editor-in-chief. Did you break up with her instantly? No, Kelly and I had our, uh, had our relationship issues anyway. Right. Kelly ended up, Kelly and I ended up separating and she started dating David Brust, who <laughs> had the exact same birthday as I did. <laughs> He's basically the same as you. Se- September 13th, uh-huh. same year. Except David was a junior. Like David was a year behind. Right. 
but we were exactly the same age, which now seems like, right. I, I should have probably started school a year later too. I would have been a, a healthier, happier student if I'd been one of the older members of the class rather than the youngest. But David was also a GQ type person. He wore a guess watch. He wore penny loafers instead of boat shoes. He rolled up the, the cuffs of his shirt, not rolled it up like his arm, like a, like he was rolling up his sleeves to get down to work, but just folded the cuffs of his shirt back yeah. a little bit mm-hmm. in a kind of weird thing that he'd seen in GQ that's like not functional. Or no. uh, he wore a lot of um, what kind of like uh, like Benetton clothes. Like there was something at, like at every level. David Brust was wrong. I mean, he was oh, and also. Very handsome, like handsome in a way that I think he was handsome as a grown man, but also handsome as a, as a 16 year old dimples. But when I say that, I mean dimples, he had prominent dimples like, um, Magnum PI dimples. Oh yeah, sure. And she's dating him only to get my goat. There's no other, I mean, and also the dimples, but like. He was a pseudo intellectual. There, 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 you could go down the list of reasons not to date him, and it was as long as your arm. And the reasons to date him were dimples, and it will get John's goat. <laughs> right. Um, so all of a sudden, she is editor in chief. Yeah, of- that must have been really weird. Well, let me explain how it, it's not that it was weird. First of all, she, Kelly, loved it. Loved it. Lorded it over me. Like you wouldn't believe. But Kelly also didn't know how to put out a newspaper. At all. She she couldn't have really been less interested in it. Now, she was a very high achieving person. And so she, you know, she learned quickly and she learned what she needed to learn. But she was able to put out the newspaper because I was there staying until nine o'clock at night, laying out the paper and figuring out where everything went because I couldn't quit the newspaper. It was, it was so important to me. It was such a, such a part of, because Dan, I, I got D's and F's in every other class. Like I was an, I was an abject failure as a student all through high school. But I was very engaged in school. I liked, I liked going to school. I liked being a member of the school community. I was, like I say, I was on the student congress. I was in the, I, I was the, I was the MC. I was that character. The editor of the paper was what that was who I wanted to be. It didn't matter to me that I got good grades. That just seemed like eh. But I always got an A in newspaper. Well, by the, by Christmas break, I, it I could not handle the indignity anymore. It was like such a, it was such a profound defeat 
because there wasn't any, I had made every case I could. I'd gone after school to talk to this teacher multiple times, pleading. And she had this like smirk. Mm. They were like out to get, they were out flat out to get you. Well, who knows? I mean, she was just a bad teacher. And I don't, like I say, I don't think that she, she succeeded. I don't think she kept on. In fact, I think looking back that the following year, she did not do newspaper. It either went back to Doug Blankensop where it always should have been, or it passed on to something else or, or maybe the newspaper stopped being published. I don't know. But starting in January of that year, 1986, I quit newspaper because I just couldn't do it. I couldn't. I don't blame you. Being there just bleeding onto the newspaper every week and and have Kelly kind of, you know, swan around as the editor and have this teacher like, um, you know, I'd be on the floor laying out the paper and she'd walk across it with her dirty shoes. That's how I felt. So I left the newspaper and, you know, the newspaper immediately became half the size it was and no longer had any humor articles in it, no longer had any funny cartoons. It just turned into because all the other all the other people on it were like this week at East High there's a food drive. Bring your canned goods to the gym. Like that was the level of newspaper it became instantly. And uh, I think at that point, like the the second half of my senior year, I disengaged from school in a way that I had never, I'd never disengaged from school my whole life. From the first day of kindergarten till January of 86, I had been a bad homework doer and a disruptive influence in school, but I was in it. I mm-hmm. loved it. Mm-hmm. And starting in January, I just, I stopped, <laughs> I, I started to come to school in a bathrobe and some teachers were concerned. I got called down to the office, told I could not wear a bathrobe to school. <laughs> Was this something that you'd been doing? I started just where I started just wearing a bathrobe to school, to school every day. And this was just part of a protest or no, it was just like, I just, you know, I've always been, I've always been fashion, fashion forward, fashion forward, fashion, fashion adjacent, right? Dungarees. And, and at this point I felt that a bathrobe was a bathrobe expressed how I felt inside. Okay. Okay. And hang on a second. Pause for a second. There have been multiple times I have made mention to you of a film called The Big Lebowski, Mm. in which the main character, the dude, uh, frequently wears just a bathrobe out and around. And I I have suggested to you on multiple occasions that perhaps you are in it. I don't mean this in a derisive way, but an embodiment of the dude in some way. And you have rejected this notion many times. And now I'm finding out 
that, in fact, you would go out and around in just a bathrobe mm. and mm-hmm. maybe, I don't know, maybe there's something there that we should explore. Well, the, 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 the difference, the key difference is that the dude mm-hmm. wore a ratty old sort of just bathrobe made out of towel material, uh-huh. I think, your yeah. typical bathrobe. yeah. Whereas I found a a Pendleton bathrobe <laughs> that was made out of Pendleton wool, a dark <laughs> dark green and blue Pendleton pattern, right? That had a, a shawl collar, and it was a Pendleton bathrobe from the fifties, and it was a a beautiful bathrobe. It it functioned terribly as a bathrobe because it was. Itchy, scratchy, heavy wool. It actually worked pretty well as an overcoat. Uh, so I made a case when I got caught. So anyway, not at all like the Love House. No, nothing like that. I, I'm, I see what you mean. I got called down to the office and they said, we're concerned about you. Uh-huh. We're, we're always concerned about you, but this is a new way. This is a new, <laughs> a new, level, a new of level of concern. We were concerned about you a lot before, but and this isn't the first time that they called me to the office to talk about something. But but now they were, and it was you know like th- this was the type of thing that where they would stage little interventions. The the school would and say like you can't keep doing this. Mm-hmm. I, I, I one of my favorite teachers in my whole history of school was a man named Don Shackelford, and Don Shackelford was one of those teachers that would call bullshit on me all the time. He mm-hmm. called bullshit on me, which a lot of teachers didn't do. Don would say bullshit. But Don also would call me in and say, hey, this thing that you're doing, uh, this this latest thing that you're doing is, is not cool. It's not cool at all. And you should stop doing it because it's not reading like you think it's reading. And I would go, oh, okay. And he's like, yeah, it's not like – when you were wearing the when you were wearing a gardening hat with a big fake flower in it, that was hilarious. But now that you're walking up behind people and and like, uh, like in a very low voice, uh, reading the punchline from Garfield cartoons, it's actually freaking people out. Was that something so, you were doing? Well, you know, that's just an example. I, I, I was always trying stuff out. You know, you gotta you gotta you gotta work out your teenage years how you work them out. Right. Sure. And I didn't have, I wasn't like one of those teenagers that was just having sex with other teenagers. I was, I was reading comic books and trying to, and trying to be the editor of the paper. Sure. So I had some stuff to work out and Don was a good, he was a good advisor. And the thing, so the, one of the things I'm not explaining is there were two high schools in my high school. There was East Anchorage High, which was a big school. It had like 2,800 students. And then there was an experimental school called School Within a School, or SWS. And SWS had its own building. It was a proper school, its own building, its own principal, teachers that taught exclusively in SWS. And you had to apply to be in SWS. And if you were in SWS, there were couches in the halls you could it was one of the old style, like it was a hippie idea. Let's let the let's let certain students who are who don't fit in to the normal school they can go to SWS and 
it'll be a safe environment and they can learn at their own pace. And of course I thought that I belonged there. That's where the newspaper was. The newspaper was published out of SWS. But SWS after I, so I spent my freshman year there. And SWS agreed at the end of freshman year that I did not belong in SWS because learning at my own pace for me meant that I just did whatever I wanted. Uh-huh. <laughs> and at the end of S- at the end of <laughs> my freshman year, that's not what they had in in that's mind. Not had, that's not what they had in mind. At the end of S- uh, at the end of freshman year, I was caught by Don Shackelford with a locker full of black powder cannon fuse blasting caps and all the makings of pipe bombs really which i was making and selling to other students and Probably don Shackle- not what they want did you to be doing So now, if this happened, if a student Mm -hmm. was making pipe bombs and selling them out of his locker, and they weren't firecrackers. I mean, they were like bombs. And my friends and I loved making bombs, and we would make bombs, and and we're all of us lucky to be alive and lucky to have our hands because we were idiots. But we would make bombs, and we learned through the Anarchist Cookbook and various other uh, sources how to make actual pipe bombs and at that time in the early 80s you could go to fred meyer and buy black powder uh it wasn't even behind the counter there was a whole a whole row at the fred meyer in anchorage devoted to black powder hunting so you could buy ball shot and wadding and probably 30 different kinds of black powder smokeless powder and then behind the counter was, was where they kept the black powder rifles. Now, I don't think you can do that at Fred Meyer anymore. And certainly black powder became a controlled substance. But then you know, they were selling this shit to 14-year-olds, 13-year-olds. We'd go in and buy like three canisters of black powder, a bunch of pipe from the plumbing section with end caps, a bunch of like nine-inch long pipe with two end caps per length. And then you had to go to a gun store across town to buy cannon fuse, which you could buy in 100-foot rolls. We made pipe bombs that way. And then someone, my friend Jim McNeil, heard or discovered or I don't know where he figured this out. But if you went to the model rocketry store, you could buy what were called solar igniters, which were the little – the little, basically like tiny little blasting cap type things that you would stick up inside the rocket motors for for model rockets, big big rockets, you know. And um, and you would just you'd put positive lead and a and a negative lead on on the wires sticking out of the bottom of these rockets, and then you could launch them from a distance with okay. a right with a button, you know, connected to a battery and launch it from a distance with a button. So uh, Jim McNeil bought a whole bunch of these solar igniters, a you know a six volt or a whatever like a twelve volt battery, and a plunger, 
I don't even know where he got the plunger. It wasn't like a, it wasn't like the old style plunger that had a, uh, that actually, as you plunged it, it, it spun a generator and, and made power. Cause we had a battery. It was just kind of like a fun plunger. I don't know where, I don't, I can't even imagine a what fun plunger just like explode, like fire in the hole. Boom. Hmm. And so we figured out how to make not only pipe bombs that you would light with a fuse and, and run, but pipe bombs that you could unspool 200 feet of wire and then set off with this like plunger, which was great, except we were, we were just such morons that we would just set these bombs places and then unroll this. And the wire wasn't even enough. It wasn't enough. Shrapnel went everywhere and absolutely could have killed us if we had just been slightly less lucky. Anyway, these days, if, if we were doing that, we would be in juvenile jail. Really? No doubt. Um, like instantaneously. Yeah. Because we also had the, the confused political beliefs of, of young teenagers. We were like, we thought we were anarchists. We thought we were Marxist Leninists. We thought we were, uh, on the, even then we thought America was on the verge of a revolution and Mm. we were going to be ready (laughs) or maybe the Russians were going to invade and we'd be ready to be, we'd be ready to red dawn them. Right. It's just kids with explosives. It was just, I think Anchorage was a kind of lawless place in the late seventies, early eighties. And this was the kind of thing that I, I think there were still a lot of adults that thought it was just good, clean fun that we would go out and find those old burned out cars that were like put out in the ditch next to some dirt road somewhere. And we would put a pipe bomb in it and, and blow it up. And we thought, and we were basically playing guns except with real bombs. Right. And I just want to echo for people who are maybe listening to this, who aren't children of the late sixties, early seventies, as we are, I made bombs too. Yeah. Um, I made the kind that was the, what did you put in the pool? Hydrochloric acid. Oh, really? Yeah. So you take the hydrochloric acid, you'd put it, should I be saying this? Sure. I mean, I, I know about hydrogen peroxide bombs, but I don't know about hydrochloric acid bombs. Okay. So this is, no one should do this. Don't do this. Don't do this. Uh, at least the stuff you were using, you couldn't just walk in and buy, but I think you could still buy all of this stuff. But this is really dumb. Don't do this. You you would take uh, like a two liter Coke bottle and you'd put hydrochloric acid from the pool because this was in Florida. Everybody had the opposite of Alaska, right? Everybody had pools. We didn't have black powder. We had pools. I didn't have a pool in my house, but most of my neighbors and many of my friends did. And so you had the hydrochloric acid, which was, it wasn't called hydrochloric acid. It was called something else in reference to, to pools, but that's what it was muriatic acid maybe and you would take some of this and you'd put it into a a two liter bottle of coke and then you'd get some aluminum foil and you'd sort of fold it up fold it up on itself wad it up and you'd chuck it into the bottle and put the lid on it Uh uh-huh and run and either run away or throw it or both and it would explode and I think when it exploded, I mean, it would 
also be spraying the acid as well. So you don't want to be anywhere near that. But it would be a really nice loud explosion. And one one time, my friend uh, would he would he had a cinder block and some fishing line, and he would tie the the two liter bottle of Coke to the fishing line. And as soon as he, we would close the lid, he'd chuck the cinder block. It would pull it down under the pool, and you'd get this huge bubble that would come up, this explosion explosion bubble that would boom. In the, the pool. In the pool, and the surface of the water would rise a little bit, and you'd get this huge bubble coming out. So I just the reason I mention this is building bombs at this time period, for those who weren't alive then, this was not that. I mean, it wasn't smart. I never had that stuff at school. But like we, I think this was a normal thing to build bombs. Yeah, I think so too. And 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 especially in Alaska, there were a lot of people doing mining up there. Like, also, uh, like an the, explosion wasn't even weird to hear that. Well, in a neighborhood, there was one time <laughs> we set off a bomb and we uh, we put it inside of a steel garbage can because we thought that the garbage can would like protect us. <laughs> Uh, one of those municipal garbage cans right. in a public park. Yeah. And we set this thing off and it shredded the garbage oh my can. Just, God. I mean, it was just like. You were so lucky you didn't get hurt. And and we had just, we'd unspooled the wire all the way because it was like, well, we've got all this wire. Let's just spool it all the way out and see how far away we can go. That'll be fun. And it was only that that kept us all from, you know, being like oh my God. absolutely decimated by this claymore <sighs> that we built. Uh, it, it like. It split this municipal garbage can completely. It butterflied it. <laughs> and then also the steel, the heavy, heavy gauge steel was just Swiss cheesed with. Oh, holes. my God. Well, this thing went off and every person in the neighborhood heard it. And then as we were running, spooling our wire as we sprinted away, a woman came out onto her porch and there were three of us there. Me, Jim McNeil, I think Tony Hine. A woman came out of her on her porch as we're running down, running out of the park and down the street, and she shouted, "John Roderick, is that you?" Oh no! And I was like, "Why me? Why is it me? <laughs> what about these other guys?" Right. Well, there was a reason it was me. It was obvious. I mean, I'm sure before she even came outside, she was like, "I bet she already was, was knowing it was you." Yeah. But so Don Shackelford heard that I was selling pipe bombs out of my locker he came made me open my locker discovered the equipment and then i was put on emergency suspension at the end of my ninth grade year which was a very very infrequently activated uh, ability on the part of the school to immediately suspend a kid with no um with no process mm-hmm. it was just like you're out and you will remain out the only the only process now is the process of you getting back into school at all, and I had to submit to some outside psychologists. I had to sit in a room with them, and they asked me a bunch of questions about whether or not I wanted to harm myself and harm other people and so forth. And I was like, "Come on, you guys! I was just building some bombs. I was dumb." And 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 they went back to the school and said, "He's not dangerous exactly." But I was out of school for nine school days, almost two weeks at the end of my freshman year. And they let me back in, but they did not let me back into SWS. They said, you cannot handle the, you can't handle SWS, but you, so I was put back into the school population, the regular school population where I stayed the rest of high school. 
But I was allowed to go down to SWS and take classes. And Don Shackelford, my senior year, was promoted from English teacher to principal of SWS. And so he had the big office down there. He right. was in charge of the, And at, by that point, I had a I, – when I was quasi-editor of the school paper, I'd made myself a press pass like took the lamination machine and took a photo photo right, of myself. Right, and, sure. And I made this press pass. It was the only one, not only in the school, but the only one anyone had ever seen because right. I was like, press pass. <laughs> of course I need a press pass. Mm-hmm. And the press pass, the school security guards and the principal of the main school and the principal and Don and, and, uh, all of the all of the administrative people and my teachers, I, I mean, they all obviously knew that this press pass was just something I'd made. But in a way, they all honored it. I would like, I'd be walking down the hall, and this was at a time when you're walking down the hall by yourself in between classes, and there would be a security guard there, and he would say, "Where's your pass?" Right, you'd have to ask the teacher for a pass to go to the bathroom or a pass to go somewhere. You weren't just allowed to leave a class and just walk around the school. And I had this pass, this like press pass. And and it's not like it fooled them. They just nodded and were like, okay. <laughs> and my teachers also were like, okay, fine, press pass. I was like, I'm on official newspaper business. And maybe this is why the woman didn't want me to be the editor of the paper. Cause I was like, but, but of course, but at the same time, of course, of course. Right. You don't, you don't, if you're a teacher at East high in 1985, 86, you don't want me in the class. You want me out doing something else on official business, which generally meant going into the dark room and hanging out there, developing pictures or going down to the band room and, sitting listening to the band rehearse or going to SWS anyway, even though I wasn't in it. But by the end of senior year, I had quit, I had, I'd quit everything except for, except for just wandering the halls, I guess. Like I had classes that I had, that I had signed up for that I had to attend. Right. But really I had this press pass. I'd quit newspaper and everybody knew it. So I was wearing a bathrobe to school, which I, I I did having had that conference with those teachers and the principal, I'd convinced them that the bathrobe was closer to a coat than it was to a bathrobe. And it was clearly a bathrobe and they made the, the adult argument like, well, it's, it may be like wool and so forth, but it is a, it's, it's a robe. I mean, cause it was ankle length. Right. And I said, yes, but fashion is a thing that no one can really know. It's not, it's like, uh, it's like pornography. You know it when you see it. And this is really, this is, I think, a forward-thinking thing. I think a lot of people are going to be buying vintage bathrobes and wearing them as coats. And I'm just ahead of the game 
and um, it functions as a coat. Mm-hmm. Like, who are we here in Anchorage to say where the line is between a wool coat and a bathrobe? And they either got tired of arguing or couldn't come up with an argument. I don't remember exactly how it went, but I walked out of there in that robe and kept wearing it. And so I would use my pass and I would, I would get out of class. And my classes then were like debate. Um, I had stopped taking any kind of class that I was like, first half of senior year, it was like debate, newspaper, radio and television production, uh, just all this kind of stuff that, that, that the school offered. And I put together a, I put together a day where I was meeting almost no requirements, but, but it kept me off the streets, but I would press pass my way out of these classes and go sit in Don Shackelford's office. And Don knew, even though he was a principal, he knew that the best place for me to be was just sitting in his office. Because I wasn't getting in any trouble, right, and kept I was, out of trouble. It, that and also, like he was, he was mentoring me, or he was he was pedagoging pedagoging me. So I would sit in there and just like chat, and he would say, "You know, you're you're a goofball. You need to like get you need to get your shit together." And I would say, "Yeah." And then after a while, he. Um, he started giving me things to read, like not, not assignments, but like he would get things. People would send him things like, you need to read this stuff about principaling and schooling and teaching and stuff. And he, so he would slide it over his desk and he'd like, will you read this for me and like synopsize it? So I was reading all this stuff about like what it was to like principal stuff. And then he was asked to judge a, a writing contest, a statewide essay contest. And he'd been given, he was one of three judges or something. He'd been given like 50 five-page essays by, by students around the state. And so he was like, I can't read all of these things. Will you read them and just separate them into piles like good and bad or like good, kind of good and bad? So I would sit in his office and I would do the I'd, you know, I'd do that type of thing. He'd keep me off the keep me off the streets and out of trouble. Sitting in my bathrobe. And all of it was it, you know, like high school ended with a a kind of like and it and it could have ended so grandly. Seriously. As like as like editor in chief. Right editor in chief of the newspaper. I would have, I, I mean, I, I wouldn't have bought a fedora, Dan, but I definitely would have not worn a bathrobe. 